Cool. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 45. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 45. Please follow along with me as I read the English Standard Version. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread, new, to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of God. Thanks, John. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Kingsway, and it's a pleasure to uh, preach God's word to you. Um, let me start uh, with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that your word is... Uh, powerful. It has the power to change men and women. It has the power to communicate uh, your will towards us, but perhaps uh, most importantly, your word uh, points us to Jesus, our one and only Lord and our Savior. Father, I pray that as we look to your word this morning, may our affections for Jesus be inflamed, and for those who have never experienced the love of Christ, may you open their hearts so that they might too join in with us. Please be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a couple of years back, uh, I think it was 2017, I had the opportunity to uh, go on a trip with a couple of boys and um, went to Greece and Turkey. I totally recommend those two countries. Great holiday um, when the uh, borders open. Uh, hopefully, in the next year or two or five. Um, uh, Istanbul, which is the, uh, not the capital of Turkey, but uh, is the biggest city uh, and the cultural center of Turkey, was just great. I stayed there for about three days, and I wish um, I was there for three weeks. Uh, there's so much to do and so much to see. Uh, one of my highlights uh, on my visit, of my visit, was visiting a church called the Hagia Sophia. Uh, it's otherwise known as the Church of holy wisdom, and for about a thousand years, it was the biggest church uh, in the world. Um, it's a beautiful place. I fully, fully endorse and recommend it. Um, in the church, uh, there is, they, the archaeologists actually found a, a painting of Jesus covered up um, uh, underneath sort of uh, paint, and uh, here's the painting here. So, Jesus here is a, a bearded man. Uh, he's holding, I think he's holding a Bible, and uh, he's giving the, the sign of uh, blessing with his other hand. 
Um, so that's a representation of Jesus. So the uh, person who uh, you know, uh, made this and uh, painted this painting had an idea of what Jesus might have looked like. Uh, when you think about what Jesus might have looked like all those years ago, uh, what do you reckon comes to mind? Um, there's a, a varied kind of uh, depiction of Jesus throughout uh, the world. Let me uh, go through a couple. So here's some more famous paintings. Uh, that's, of course, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, and Jesus is the person uh, in the middle. Uh, there's also, um, if you've been to Brazil or if you know of it, uh, this is called the Christ the Redeemer statue. It's a massive statue that sits on top um, overlooking uh, Rio, I, I believe. Um, huge statue. Um, also recommend if uh, you have the opportunity to go see it. And there's also a uh, statue called Michelangelo's Pieta Sculpture. So that's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and that's uh, Jesus after his crucifixion. Uh, in every uh, painting and sculpture, Jesus, you might have noticed, looks a little bit different. Uh, depending on the painter or the sculpture's understanding of Jesus and uh, their artistic choice and uh, emphasizing maybe one aspect of Jesus over another, uh, the representations often take on a, a quite a unique form. And um, I just wanted to throw in a funny one here for you. Um, a couple of years ago on Reddit, a picture, uh, a photo surfaced of another uh, statue of Jesus, um, and uh, it caused quite a lot of controversy, so I'll give you an example uh, why. So that statue, uh, unfortunately, for better or worse, is in Korea, uh, where uh, my heritage is. Um, they dubbed it on Reddit as the Jacked Jesus statue. Um, maybe the uh, sculptors were going for, you know, the power of Jesus, but, I mean, definitely does communicate that, I suppose, in one way or another. Um, but you get my point, right? Each representation, each painting, painting sculpture, uh, statue uh, looks a little bit different to one another depending on how uh, one might imagine Jesus to be and how one might imagine maybe emphasize certain characteristics over uh, another. And of course, uh, we will never know uh, what Jesus really looked like, uh, but one thing we uh, do know is that Jesus's acts, uh, Jesus's ministry uh, was marked by compassion. And our passage, our passage today uh, paints a picture of sorts of what we can imagine what Jesus' compassion might have looked like. And uh, uh, that's what we're going to do here today. We, we, we obviously can't paint an actual picture or create an actual sculpture of Christ's compassion. Uh, but the passage gives us enough, I think, to define Christ's compassion beyond you know, the dictionary definition that we're used to. And that's what I want us to do for the next 30 minutes or so, uh, see what the passage tells us about uh, Christ's compassion uh, which I think can be summed up, in a way, uh, in terms of measurements, uh, like the dimensions of a shape. Uh, so my question uh, for you guys this morning is, what are uh, the measurements of our king's compassion? So picture the king's compassion as a cube, although that's a, more like a rectangular prism, but uh, you get the point. Uh, our passage today gives us the dimension uh, of this sort of compassion Rectangular prism, if you want to call it that. So the length, uh, how long something is, the, the extent and range of an object, uh, the, the depth, how deep something is, its intensity and its uh, seriousness, and of course the height, uh, how tall something is, or in other words, uh, the, the pinnacle, uh, the climax. 
I believe that by going through this passage with these in mind, my hope is that by the end of our time, uh, we'd be able to paint a rough picture in our minds of what Christ's compassion looks like by knowing the dimensions of shed compassion. So that when someone asks you afterwards or later on, what do you reckon Christ's compassion looks like? We can all paint a picture uh, with our words. So let's uh, jump right into it. But, but before we do, um, let's deal with the first verse here. Um, Mark records, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Now before I jump into this point, it's a small side note uh, that I think it's really worth mentioning. We're talking about uh, Christ's compassion here, aren't we? How, how Jesus reaches out to people and serves them and, and pours out his love uh, onto them and for them. Uh, but before he does that, we notice that Jesus prayed before going out to do his work of compassion. Uh, in other words, he, he, the Son of God, spiritually recharged and received before he gave out, uh, he, before he gave and poured out to others. So I think there's a small lesson to learn as Christians here who are also in the business of pouring out our love and compassion to those around us and to the lost. We should never neglect uh, the act of uh, sort of withdrawing, in a sense, to our own space and spiritually recharging in prayer and going back to our relationship with our Father. Of course, if Jesus did that, uh, we need to do that also. Uh, but let's uh, pick it up in verse uh, 36 again. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, well, let us go out onto the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, this passage to us as modern-day readers, they don't seem very important. They almost seem like those sort of filler verses in between the good stuff, like Jesus casting out demons and Jesus healing people and so on. Um, it doesn't seem to serve much purpose here at all. It looks like our equivalent to maybe you know, badly written dialogue between characters and action flicks. We don't really pay attention to it, um, but it's there for us anyway. But there is a glimpse of the immense length of Christ's compassion here. If only we would know where to look. Uh, if only we would put ourselves in the shoes of the readers that Mark originally wrote this gospel to. So we're going to do a little bit of work here. So uh, bear with me as I try to flesh this out. First things first, let's think of the location. Why Galilee? I mean, to us, this location, Galilee... It doesn't mean much. It seems relatively unimportant. I mean, if we really think about it, and if Jesus wanted to uh, make his ministry impact maximize, wouldn't he want to start off in the center, in the capital city of uh, Judea, which was Jerusalem? If he really wanted to start off with the bang, why does he start in a place like Galilee? Well, Galilee was a part of the country that was surrounded by a ton of uh, non-Jews, uh, so foreigners. They had a ton of foreign influences as a result of that. Uh, some Bible scholars even suggest that at the time when you used the word Galilee, you could replace that with Gentile. Galilee and Gentile were synonymous. Gentile meaning uh, non-Jews. So bear in mind, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. 
He is Jewish, and he is a Messiah to the Jewish people. He, for him to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God had come in a place like Galilee would be a little bit odd to the readers at the time. Until we learn and understand who the Gospel of Mark was originally written to. Of course, it is universally relevant for Christians of all shapes and sizes, of all time and space, but the Gospel of Mark was originally written to the church plant team in the city of Rome. The first generation of Christians that planted a church in the center of what was then the greatest and biggest city in the world where the early Jewish church planters were surrounded, like Galilee, by non-Jews, by foreign influence, by foreign culture. So when Jesus says here, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out, we catch a glimpse of his desire to take the gospel message out of his inner circle, beyond his background, beyond his comfort zone, beyond cultural borders. Christ's compassion is not just for the Jews, not just one culture, not just one nation. It is for everyone. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, that's great, but I know that. Of course we know that. We're modern-day Christians. Christ's compassion is definitely for all people. I assume that none of us are Jewish here. Uh, that's, I think that's a fair assumption to make. So, so this might all sound a little bit flat to us. And yet, I'm convinced that the challenge that was felt by the original audience, that the Jewish church planting team in the city of Rome, in a way is the same challenge that we face as the first generation of Christians here in Kingsway. Like Jesus in Galilee, and like the Roman church in the first century, we live in Sydney, don't we? Our church is surrounded by non-Christians from all different backgrounds and very different cultural expressions. In a way, you could look at it like this. In 2021, we are the Jews, the chosen people of God, and the non-Christians are the Gentiles. Aren't we surrounded by those who do not yet believe in Jesus? I wonder, though, as I think about it like this, if this is really true, if we are doing what Jesus did here. See, Jesus didn't stay in just one place and did his miracle work, but he went from town to town throughout the region filled with people different to him. Let me bring it back to our, what I said before. We know that Christ's compassion is for everyone. It knows no creed, no nation, no tribe, no language, etc. But we say we believe that. We say that we follow him. But do we also follow him into regions and spaces in our city filled with people who are different to us? Or do we stay put? and stay in one place. We know that Christ's compassion is not reserved for just us here. 
It's for all types of people, people like you and people who are not. And this goes, may I just add, this goes beyond just outer appearances like skin color and ethnicity. Christ's compassion is for people of different personality types. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, if you're you know, into Enneagrams, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Speak to Holly. Um, you know, uh, t- whether you're a type 1 or a type 9, it doesn't matter. Whether you come from a religious background or an irreligious background, whether you come from you know, overbearing or underbearing parents, whether you're rich or poor or anywhere in between, Christ's compassion is for all. And I wonder, as, as Christians here, I think way too often, and, and I'm a culprit of this as well, and it's very tempting to do this, but I wonder if, if, if we inadvertently, or God help us, uh, intentionally create Christian bubbles so we feel safe. But if we keep sticking to the bubbles that we create and, and rarely poke our heads out, uh, outside of it, I mean, I wonder what kind of message that is communicating to the world that needs Jesus so desperately. Are we communicating that Jesus isn't for them? That Christ's compassion doesn't reach out to them? I mean, we know that's not true. Of course, the the length of Jesus' compassion reaches not only to them, but to the ends of the earth, doesn't it? But, but they don't have Jesus to go from town to town and throughout all the region to show them that. They, they have us. So my challenge for us all here is, are, are we prepared to do that and show them? You know, if we are going to communicate the length of Christ's compassion, consider right now uh, the reach of your compassion. How long is the reach of your compassion. You see, I think rather than restricting it to my community, our community, our comfort zone, I encourage you guys to step out and look for ways to show compassion to people outside of your space. Resist the bunker mentality. Don't stay in one place. Go out and engage the culture around us. Care about the lives of your workmates, not as colleagues, but but as souls that need Jesus. Take an interest in people different to you, from different backgrounds, cultures, personality types, life experiences, the list goes on. And if things get hard, and I'm sure it will, if things get a little bit uncomfortable, and I'm sure it does, and the temptation to sort of recoil back into your bunker sets in, remember what Jesus is like. Remember Christ has a heart for them, and he, his compassion reaches even to them. So, so brothers and sisters, I encourage you to make sure that, that we, uh, that our compassion does so as well. So that's the, the length of Christ's compassion we see here. Uh, these next verses uh, speak on the depth. And to know this depth deeply, again, uh, bear with me, we've got to do a little bit of background work. So uh, 
Bear with me. Stick with me. Uh, We'll pick it up in verse 40. Uh, And a leper came to him, implored him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now again, we're going to imagine ourselves in the first century as the original audience. Because to the original audience, this would have made everyone here hold their breath. (sighs) What's going on? I'm assuming that none of us thought that. To us, it seems great. Yeah, a leper, someone with an infectious skin disease comes to Jesus and Jesus heals. Okay, that's great. That's wonderful. But, but we weren't holding our breath. We weren't, we weren't waiting for what Jesus would do as the leper touched him. Well, let me give some context to help us along. So in the Old Testament, so the... Uh, first half of the book of the Bible, uh, leprosy was a filler word for any major highly infectious diseases of the skin. Now, not only that, but leprosy was a mark that was thought to signal God's judgment on that person because of their inward sin. And just as sin is highly infectious in influencing others around uh, this sinner, leprosy was also treated as seriously as not only sin, but the best example I could give is, well, maybe too early to (laughs) say this, but COVID-19. You see, uh, let me bring you back to Leviticus chapter 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Hearing that, I think it's pretty hard to contextualize and imagine what a leper would be like in our time. Not only were lepers treated like COVID patients, but they were shamed. They were socially outcast and morally irredeemable. The perception was, if a leper were to come near a person that does not have leprosy, then they might be at risk of catching the disease and therefore being marked with the same judgment that God had towards that person. See, quarantine for the lepers was not 14 days. It was for a lifetime. Social distancing laws for lepers was much more than four square meters. The Bible records that they had to stand 50 paces away. That's about 40 meters No amount of PPE could help them. N95 masks are useless in these circumstances. This leper was out on the margins of society as you could physically and literally and figuratively can get. And in an act that would have shocked the readers of this story, Jesus reaches out his hand, touches his leper-infected skin, and says, be clean. 
The depth of Christ's compassion here is on full display because consider who Jesus is. He who is spiritually, ritually, morally cleaner than not only this leper, but anyone here, anyone who has ever lived, risks it all, knowing the law, knowing the risk, knowing the consequence, and he literally reaches out and pulls the leper out. You know, some scholars say that this was not at all that shocking because Jesus doesn't actually catch the leprosy like he was meant to. So in a way, you know, Jesus knew what he was getting himself into. He knew that he was immune, so to speak, to the disease. So he didn't really risk much. But as we read on, we, we find out that he did. He risked it all because he did take his sin. He did take his uncleanliness, but that's the next point. So I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Just bank that in your, in your brain. So if Jesus, uh, moved with compassion, uh, reaches out and willingly, gladly, even maybe even joyfully, replies, I will be clean. Is anyone outside of that compassion? Why would he not do it for you? I think as we live out our lives, we understand that we're not that great. We fail people. We even fail ourselves. We do bad things. We make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes catch up to us. And we feel, maybe I'm, maybe I'm done. Well, no matter how deep you think you are under the water of your situation, your past mistakes, your sinful habits that you can't shake off, the compassion of Jesus reaches out deeper than all those things and invites you to be pulled up. Why is the story of the leper so relevant for us? Because in a way, we're all like this leper. I think so often we read the scriptures as if we are the hero of the story, but 99% of the time, we are not. We are the leper. We are all spiritually sick. And in the eyes of God, we're unclean. Not with physical leprosy, but a skin condition of the heart. Leprosy of sin. And I know that there are many of us here who know that all too well about ourselves. And we've run to Jesus before, all those years ago. Like this leper, begged him, asked him, believed in him and said, if you will, I will be clean. And Jesus, like this leper, replied to us, I will be clean. I think there are others of us here, though, that think that we're not like this leper. We think we're pretty clean. Maybe even grew up in church. That's why I'm a Christian because I am clean. 
But I, I challenge you, if you do think this way, consider what the Bible says. None of us are nearly as clean as we think we are. As Christians, we call Jesus our Savior and Rescuer. How, how can Jesus be your Savior if there's nothing to save you from? And I know that there are a few of us here who know in their heart of hearts that they are unclean, who are thinking even now, I'm too far gone, I know what I've done, I know who I am, I am beyond help. The depth of Christ's compassion reaches even to you. If you can reach this leper, how much more can it reach down to you? The example of the leper is an example that I encourage you to think about. This is the way that we come to Jesus. We run to him with everything we got. Don't worry about your thoughts to hell with it. Your thoughts about being unworthy and too dirty and, and thinking that your mistakes are too much for even God to look upon you. And tell him, tell Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. People might have disappointed you. Those people might have even been Christians. But the depth of Christ's compassion is far deeper than any of our sins can go. If you will, you can make me clean. To that, Jesus replies always, I will be clean. This is the depth of our Lord's compassion. It reaches down into the deep, even to you. We come to the last measurements, and there's something quite different to what Jesus does here compared to uh, his other miracles that are recorded uh, so far in the Gospel of Mark. You see, in the previous miracles, he did some crazy stuff. Right? He cast out demons. Uh, he healed the sick. But here, he cleanses the leper. See that distinction? So we almost expect him to do the same as he did before. Remember uh, a couple of weeks back, we looked at how uh, Simon's mother was uh, ill with the flu, and then Jesus healed her. We kind of expect Jesus to do that here. But here, Jesus goes further. He goes deeper than the literal skin-deep problem of the patient, of the leper. He, he cleanses him. Now, what does that mean? Well, he heals his soul, makes him pure in the eyes of God. Now, where do I get this uh, statement? We know this not only by the word Mark uses to describe the miracle, but also in the last couple of verses here. Forty-three, we'll pick it up. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So it's really interesting, right? 
the leper is cleansed, and then Jesus goes, go to your pastor and confirm that you're healed or cleansed. Go to your priest. So why is Jesus saying that? He didn't say that in any of his other miracles. Why here and why now? Well, again, we have to go back to Leviticus, and there's the uh, passage if you're interested, but let me just explain and flesh that out. In the Old Testament law about leprosy, it's actually very interesting to know and note that there are no instructions on how to actually get rid of the leprosy. You kind of expect that, but, but there aren't any instructions for that. But there's a whole chapter dedicated to, to, uh, dedicated to uh, for what a person should do if they become cleansed. In order to show his community that God's judgment has been lifted off him and he is now able to be welcomed back into his circle, into his community, to be pronounced clean. That's what it means. So it is the same kind of ritual that other chapters in Leviticus uh, notes when someone sins and needs to atone and make up for the act in the temple. So the healing of the leper, in my opinion, at, this, at least up till now, is the best example of Jesus' earthly ministry uh, that was sort of defined by healing and, and restoring the sick and his ultimate ministry. And we all know it as Christians, right? His, his ultimate ministry aim was to forgive and reconcile sinners to God. You see, leprosy is a physical disease, an infectious skin condition that is both painful and obvious, but it is also a great spiritual marker. It is an indication of the deep-rooted sin that lies underneath the skin, within the heart. So when Jesus cleanses the leper, rather than heal him, because he could have done that, the author is making a clear point. Jesus can heal not only the physical, but the very soul of a sinner and declare him clean. Now the question still stands, what right does he have to do that? How is that possible? We find the answer in an interesting plot twist. Verse 45. But he, as in the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus commands the leper to not tell anyone about what happened, just go straight to your priest and show that you are clean. Unexpectedly, the leper, what does he do? Does the exact opposite. Tells everyone about Jesus. And you think that's a good thing. But the author clearly doesn't think so. Because he gives us a description of the result. Jesus can't do ministry in public anymore. He's pushed out into desolate places, the ESV says. Into the social margins, he's pushed outside. Friends, do you see what has just happened? The leper, who was he? He was an outcast. An outcast comes to Jesus to be cleansed. Through the act of Christ, he is restored into his community. He is given a 
new life? Where is Jesus after it? He's pushed into the margins. He is now an outcast. Jesus and the leper have traded places. The outsider is brought in, and the Son of God is cast out. Mark begins this story with Jesus being on the inside and the leper on the outside. And at the end, Jesus is outside and the leper is now inside. Jesus and the leper have traded places. Even in the first chapter, Mark foreshadows the ultimate picture of Jesus' mission. The kingdom of God is at hand, and the king brings it by trading places with sinners. That is the height of compassion. In other words, the greatest example, the pinnacle of compassion that ever existed is here. Jesus traded places with sinners. The end of the first chapter of Mark gives us a preview of where the story is headed. Jesus did not come to merely heal or merely to cast out demons or merely challenge the status quo or have a go at the priests or even to make our earthly lives better and comfortable. He came to trade places with sinners. Remember how I mentioned briefly in my previous point that Jesus touching the leper was a social and religious taboo? Why? Because since touching the leper meant he would become infected with a disease. I mean, that's the thing. It was beyond shocking that Jesus touched the leper because well, he did take the disease. He did risk it all and pay the price. He took the disease from the leper and onto himself. He took the sin, he took the curse, he became sin, he became the curse so that we would be free. These verses describe it so beautifully. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Galatians again, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's broken, by the way. But Jesus not only spoke of his compassion, he not only felt it in his bones, we can tell here that he proved it with his life. Quite literally, in fact. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord has done for us. You know, we talk about how grace from our Lord God is free, and it is, how beautiful it is that it is free, but as one pastor in the past has said it, it's not cheap. Every single one of us who has our faith in Jesus, we were bought with a price. It cost God his one and only son. We sit here now fully forgiven and fully free, fully clean and fully reconciled because Jesus took our place. His compassion was for you and it drove him to lay down his life. 
Our Lord loves us. And as Jesus himself said, no greater love is there than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And that's what the Lord has done. So I encourage you to see his compassion and feel it in your heart this morning. So what are the uh, dimensions of the Lord's compassion? What do these look like? Well, the length. His compassion stretches beyond the normal, beyond the comfortable, beyond culture, personality, socioeconomic status, every human form of distinction is no barrier for his compassion. The depth. Christ's compassion reaches down into the darkest depths of human sin. No sorrow is too deep. No shame is too great. No pain is too strong for Christ's compassion to stretch out, touch, and cleanse you of. He knows your deepest regrets, most hidden hurts. And he will cleanse you if only you would ask, knowing that he can. And of course, the height, his compassion is so great that he doesn't just deal with our physical problems alone. He doesn't make our earthly lives better alone. He, he does not leave us in our sin, but he takes us out. He trades places with us and reconciles us to God. These are the dimensions of the Lord's compassion, the length, the depth, the height. And I hope that this passage might help you imagine it a little bit better. Brothers and sisters, isn't it wonderful to be reminded of who we once were? I mean, as we read this passage, weren't we kind of going, man, I remember when I was like this leper. I mean, wasn't there a time for us when we too were, were spiritually outside of the kingdom? Like this leper, we were sinners that could never be healed of our terminal spiritual illness until we heard of Jesus. And as we heard of him, we came running to him, didn't we? We, we came and we pled at his knees, begging, if you will, you can make me clean. And how beautiful it is that Jesus' voice replied back, like the leper, I will be made clean. Our Lord Jesus deeply cares for us. I hope you are reminded of this this morning. For those of us who have faith in Jesus, this is the same Jesus whose compassion remains unchanging. His heart for sinners remains unchanging. The length, the depth, the height of his compassion does something that no painting or sculpture can. Our hearts know fully what he looks like. And finally, for uh, those of us who have yet to know this compassion, the offer is here for you today, now, here. You see, the leper here is conscious of his own state. He knows his circumstances. He knows that he's a leper. He's earnestly desiring to be cleansed. How do we know that? Well, he ran to Jesus. He's humble enough to ask for cleansing. And he believes that Jesus has the power to do so. If with each of these points you have said in your heart, sounds like me, 
this is the opportunity to run to Jesus like so many of us here have done and to ask him, if you will, you can make me clean. See, the length of compassion guarantees that no one is left out. You think you are different to everyone around you? Don't worry, Jesus' compassion reaches even to you. The depth of Christ's compassion guarantees that no sinful scar is too deep for him to heal. You think you're too far gone? Jesus goes further. The height of Christ's compassion guarantees that every sinner who has faith in Christ will be reconciled to God. Christ offers you life with his own. Will you receive it and know his compassion also? Something to think about. Let's pray. Many of us wonder um, yeah, what Jesus might have looked like. It's a fun little intellectual exercise, but we'll never know what he physically looked like, but here at least we get a very clear picture of what Christ's compassion looks like. And I invite you here to just silently or loudly if you want to meditate and respond to Christ's compassion, the length the depth, the height. And as I finished off this talk, if you are one of the few here who identifies with this leper, if you are conscious of your own state, if you earnestly desire to no longer be in that state, and you are humble enough to ask, God, help me. Jesus, save me. Get me out of here. And if you believe that Jesus can do that, let me remind you that Jesus wants to. He is willing. His heart for sinners is so much greater than the heart that sinners have for Him. So I want us to maybe spend the next minute or so just responding to that, just reflecting on Christ's compassion. And and if you are uh, yet to believe in the Lord Jesus, this is your chance. This is your opportunity where this free grace that was purchased for your sake with a large sum, the sum of Christ's life is on offer for you. And if you don't know the words to pray, take it from the book of the Bible. Take it from the words of this leper. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And if you believe wholeheartedly that Jesus has the power to to cleanse you of your sin, watch what He does for you and be amazed at how much your life is transformed in the coming years. So let me leave you with that. In the next minute or so, just reflect. If you are a believer, let's thank God. Praise be to Christ that He saved lepers like us. And those who are yet to know this, 
the offer is available for you. Let's pray.